Welcome to Dr. Waffle and Friends, a podcast where we share personal writing and then chat about it. And now for the reading. Take a hike. Here, for the first time ever, is the official list of activities that always turn out to be less fun than you think they're going to be. Roller coasters, making croissants, the Academy Awards, class reunions, scrolling through Twitter or Instagram, or Facebook, or YouTube, or TikTok, pie-eating contests, cocaine, clothes shopping, Tom Hanks movies, drive-in theaters, and convertibles. And here is the obverse list, things that are way more fun than you usually anticipate. Weddings, clipping your nails, trivia contests, headstands, rereading mystery novels, lying in a hammock, essay writing, brushing a cat, yard work, road trips, flossing, and Billy Crudup. It pains me deeply to report that there is a small group of puzzling activities that can be assigned to neither list that flummox and disconcert with their uncategorizability. Sex, walking, and tubing. About the last one, tubing, there isn't that much to say. Sometimes it's so raucously fun and cliche-perfect that you feel like you and your friends are in a powdered lemonade commercial— Sometimes the sun is too hot and you're worried about E. coli and your swimsuit keeps riding up your butt crack. About the first one, sex, there's far too much to say. It depends not only on timing, mood, partner, and setting, but also on a host of conditions over which we don't always have control. Access to contraception, where required, lighting conditions, and whether or not anything is riding up your butt crack. That leaves us with walking. Obviously, the question of whether any given walk is more or less fun than you had hoped depends not only on the actual amusement quotient of said walk, but also on your level of anticipatory excitement. Basically, it depends on how you feel about the idea of walking. Does the prospect of placing one foot in front of the other and swinging your arms slightly from the shoulder thousands of times in a row leave you slightly cold? Or do you romanticize the entire enterprise, perhaps picturing yourself strolling under the bending willows dappled by sunlight, a picturesque straw hat shading your noble brow as you benevolently regard some gentle cows munching herbage in your neighbor's paddock. Do you tend to imagine yourself as Elizabeth Bennet striding purposefully netherfield words to rescue her sister from snobbery? Or as a whimsical woodland creature clutching an enchanted gewgaw that you must cast into a forbidding volcano? Do you currently have in your possession a pair of walking shoes or a crooked wooden stick of any kind? Have you been brainwashed by Big Hike? If you answered yes to any, or bless your heart, all of these questions, well, welcome to the club. Like most female academics of a certain age, I am both obsessed with walking and spend somewhat more time picturing it than actually doing it. I devour articles reminding me of the underappreciated health benefits of walking or outlining hacks designed to make my walks more productive or pleasurable. Above all, I am a total sucker for the category of essay I will hereby dub, this famous person did a lot of walking and also a lot of writing, and probably those two things are connected, although shrug, we're not promising anything. Now, I love LitHub down to the ground, so this is totally not meant as a diss, but I estimate that 64% of articles on that website fall under this general rubric. In the past couple of years, I have learned that Thomas Hardy took the exact same walk every day for 107 years, carefully noticing the subtle changes in the landscape around him, which is clearly why he was so good at describing subtle changes in landscape in his writing, 
and also that Charles Darwin wrote for 14 hours every day and walked for 18 hours every day, which is why he was so good at noticing evolution. Notabene, do not try these regimens yourself without a full staff of domestic servants to attend to your bodily needs. I'm not sure why writers are such pushovers for vague claims that some other wholly unrelated activity will somehow magically help them with their life's work. I don't think carpenters spend a lot of time fantasizing that recreational bungee jumping will help them build better tables, but it definitely seems to be a thing. While I remain skeptical of all such claims of increased creativity among walkers, I am interested in the question of why some folks, including me, love the idea of walking so much, perhaps more than actual walking itself. I identify as a walker and present myself as such in public, and to back up my claim, I try to take a walk every day, especially since the beginning of the pandemic. My sister even referred recently to my walking problem, which predictably made me feel both embarrassed and a little bit proud. That said, there is a loose connection somewhere between my persona, ego, ideal, projected self, and my deepest unspoken desires. I mean, duh, of course there is. There always is. I have a couple of theories for this phenomenon, and you're not going to like either one of them. As painful as it might be to confront these uncomfortable truths, perhaps certain of my fellow semi-ambulists will recognize their own experiences herein. The first theory is that I'm fundamentally afraid of getting lost. My sense of direction is so profoundly bad, so impaired, that I honestly feel it's tantamount to a disability. Hear me out for a second. My crap sense of direction means that I cannot do many things alone that others take for granted, that I cannot perform certain basic daily tasks without the help of elaborate and expensive prostheses. Now, it just so happens that said prostheses, GPS, smartphones, Apple Watches, and the like, are so ubiquitous that our reliance on them has become nearly invisible. That said, for the vast majority of my life, these props did not exist, and I had to make my trepidatious way to the grocery store and back all on my own. The existence of these fancy navigation gymcracks does not, furthermore, obviate the deep shame I feel about my problem or particularly help me to cover it up. How many hours of my life have I spent crouching in the driver's seat of a car, surreptitiously typing my home address into my phone and hoping that the friend I just had coffee with doesn't discover that I don't know how to get from one end of the town I live in to the other? Even worse is having other people in the car with you when you're driving somewhere you're supposed to know how to get to, or, cringe, 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 being the passenger and having to direct the driver off the top of your head like some kind of sideshow freak savant. Obviously, the prospect of getting hopelessly lost takes some of the joie out of walking. I don't like to carry my phone with me when I head out because it's bulky and annoying, and furthermore, I can't rely on cell service in most of the places I like to walk. For that reason, I tend to repeat the same memorized walks over and over again, desperately trying to convince myself I'm being Hardy-esque. I also like to go walking with people who can orient themselves in space, even though walking with others does not seem as romanticizable as the solo, brow-furrowed stroll through the countryside. A closely related sub-theory of theory number one also has to do with fear, but since I didn't provide fair warning, I won't make you listen to a discursus on rape culture this time. My second theory has less to do with fear than with existential dread. I wonder if, on some level, I occasionally resist the idea of recreational walking for the exact same reason I'm attracted to it. It's not quote-unquote productive, which might also explain the recent vogue for linking aimless walking and creativity. 
It does strike me as deeply odd that in the great sweep of human history, from our earliest hominid ancestors trotting for miles at a stretch in search of elusive game, to medieval pilgrims plodding for weeks in order to bathe religious shrines with their penitent tears, we have arrived at a place where middle-class people regularly leave their houses, stroll for a fixed period of time and distance, and then return to their houses for no apparent reason or purpose. Sometimes they even get in their cars and drive to different ambulation departure points. Hence, perhaps, my own ambivalence. I have to admit that a big theme of my life is the struggle between my admiring envy of those who are capable of doing nothing and my deeply internalized self-loathing whenever I try it out for myself. Many, not all, but many, global northerners have no living memory of a time when walking, even for commuting purposes, was anything other than a choice. Hardy himself walked for pleasure and recreation, even as he was turning over in his mind the desperate fate of his favorite heroine. Quote, Thus Tess walks on, a figure which is part of the landscape, a fieldwoman pure and simple in winter guise. Inside this exterior, over which the eye might have roved as over a thing scarcely percipient, almost inorganic, there was the record of a pulsing life which had learnt too well, for its years, of the dust and ashes of things— of the cruelty of lust and the fragility of love. Next day the weather was bad, but she trudged on, unquote. The other day Scott and I were taking a walk in Black Mountain when we stumbled across a theretofore unknown to us greenway north of downtown. As we turned off the main street onto the Sylvan Pathway, we were immediately enchanted by the dense green woods and sparkling Swannanoa River flowing by directly to our right. After a short stretch of bosky beauty, we turned a corner, saw spread before us an enormous trailer park, and nearly bumped into a single wide perched just feet from the path. We waved cheerily and called good morning to the two undershirted gentlemen sitting out front at a splintered wooden trestle table, and they enthusiastically returned our greeting. We continued on with our walk, hale and hearty in our bourgeois workout uniforms, with trailers sprawling in the sun as far as the eye could see to our left, and the babbling river and overhanging trees accompanying us on the right. After another short stretch, we encountered a middle-aged Latina woman trudging toward us on the path. She was clearly exhausted, carrying a white kitchen-sized knotted trash bag stuffed with what looked like dirty clothing, and wearing an orange and shit-brown uniform dress with a Super 8 logo stitched over the breast pocket. We also greeted her cheerily, but she barely lifted her eyes towards ours and gave a wan half-smile as she shuffled wearily past. The path continued on between the trailers and the stream, until it turned another corner and the trailers were abruptly gone, replaced by a newish development of fake mid-century single-family houses, all identical in design but painted different muted colors. As we passed one of these pristine homes, a trim older white woman pulled her SUV up to the curb and jumped out. Oh my, she cried when she saw us walking by. Good for you. Look at you walking. That's just great. I really wish I walked more. I'm going to take a walk this afternoon. Yes, we chirped merrily in reply. It is a marvelous day for a walk. And then we continued on our way. Thanks so much. I loved hearing you read that. That was great. That was kind of fun to read. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have no way of predicting whether things are going to be fun to read or not. Sometimes the, you know, when I write something, the, the words I choose to write are kind of naughty and difficult and they seem like they're going to sound good in your head or on the page, but it doesn't translate. But I actually thought that one was kind of fun. 
So you could have a whole list of essays that turn out to be more fun to read aloud than you think they'll be. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, right, when literature was mostly oral or entirely oral, people really thought so much more about what things were going to sound like when they read them aloud or, or crafted them with that intention in mind. I'm sure that was something people, you know, actually had to think about. And I, I don't think about it very much, although I'm starting to because of this podcast, which has really been fun and interesting. Oh, now I'm so interested to hear more about this historical uh, aspect of literature. At what point did it shift from an oral tradition to a written tradition? Oh, well, now I'm going to become completely fraudulent because <laughs> I'm, I'm being completely irresponsible and like just speaking in extremely general terms. Like, it would depend on the tradition, right? I mean, mm. um, yeah, I mean, some, some literatures weren't written down until there was European contact and missionaries codified the languages and wrote alphabets mm. and dictionaries and all that good stuff. Um, so, and, and I, I mean, in English, Right. We have written texts going back to the Anglo-Saxon period, but there's also, you know, lots of evidence that those those poems were meant to be were originally meant to be read aloud and memorized and, re, you know, repeated down to the generations through an oral tradition. So it's sometimes a kind of a hybrid, too. Right. Where you have texts that had been oral for a long period of time and then they get written down and then you have competing versions and. Um, yeah, so it can be kind of compl- complicated. But I also, you know, I am a 19th century literature specialist. So I am all about textuality and writing and technologies mm. of writing. So I can't really speak to the stuff about oral tradition nearly as well. Except, so, mm-hmm. no, I was going to say, except for the fact that Victorians did love to sit around and read the latest serial numbers of novels that had just been published in the monthly magazine. So that was a big, a big part of uh, literary culture was reading aloud serial installments of like a Dickens novel or a George Eliot novel. So that was something that the, that the Victorians did. It's so interesting because I feel like there's been this sort of resurgence of, or surgence of, I don't know, storytelling. Lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, so that that oral tradition, I think, is... Um, I, I don't know if it's coming back or if it's always been around, but I'm just being um having contact with it or what but anyway i just hadn't thought about it in those terms of sort of yeah um what the writer is thinking about too yeah well i mean i guess podcasts right are bringing that back i mean the podcast is just kind of an extension of the radio show in a sense but it's so much more democratic in in that anybody can make one and so many people are making them and so it's become this kind of populist form Mm. um but yeah that would be obviously there's lots of opportunities for people to read stories aloud or to have oral narrative um, in the podcast form as well. Great. Anyway, I, sorry, I got us way off track. Let's get back to your no, no, essay. No, no, I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, what was the impetus for writing this one? Um, hmm. I guess, oh, this was, this was one that was commissioned in a sense. This was, um, my friend Diana Bellandy asked for a, an essay about walking. And, but even without that, I had been noticing that trend that I was referring to that it still really fascinates me, this kind of weird Venn diagram overlap between people who consider themselves readers and people, or writers, and people who consider themselves walkers. And there, it's really been fed by this whole genre of article that is, you know, such and such famous person walked this many miles a day 
and you know walked every single morning before even trying to sit down to write. And when they were stuck, they went out and for a walk. Or Darwin came up with evolution during his walks. I mean, it's really a thing. And LitHub, that website that I was referring to, which I really do love, it's an amazing. It's kind of a, an amalgamation site, you know, with lots of links to articles in other places about literature and literary culture. It seems like they have one or two of those a day, you know, like such and such a person and their relationship to walking. And there've been books on walking and creativity and books on walking and writers and books on particular writers and their love of walking. Anyway, so I just kind of started thinking about that. Like, what is this? I mean, is there, we like to think of this some kind of actual neurological connection maybe, or that it actually, you know, something happens in your brain when you're walking that enables you to have more creativity. But that could be anything. Why, what is it about walking in particular that seems to really be a focus for this kind of interest and obsession? So then I started thinking, well, I really love the idea of being a walker. I always have, like, I really romanticize it. So that's why those articles are real clickbait for me. And I think for a lot of people, I like to think of myself as a walker because I read novels in which people are taking long romantic walks all the time. Right. And so when we're picturing ourselves as protagonists in these novels that we're reading, we're imagining ourselves going on walks and then movies too. When you've got like the filmed adaptation of a Jane Austen novel or whatever, where they're going on long walks with their, their skirts sweeping through the, you know, the dewy grass. (laughs) Anyway, that's when we start thinking about it. Like what is it about walking that is, that has become so romanticized and, and what is it to be, what is this concept of leisure walking? And then that incident at the end really did happen. When I was thinking about this essay, I was like, wow, this is weird. We're both walking on the same path, but this person is just coming home after a horrible shift in a motel and she's mm-hmm. exhausted and we're doing the same activity, but she has to do it. She's getting home. Presumably she's, she lived in that trailer park and we're doing it because we're like bourgeois people who are, you know, trying to exercise our bodies, which are normally sitting in front of computers all day. I mean, it's not like that deep in insight, but it just, it was so stark that, that moment mm-hmm. that I was like, we're doing the same thing and yet for completely different purposes. And, you know, when did we stop thinking about walking as something that you had to, that you had to do to get from place to place? Um, obviously there's, there's answers to that, like, you know, mass transit and stuff like that. But it's, it's interesting when you read a novel like Tess or another 19th century novel. And the people are just, well, I would just finish re- reading, rereading David Copperfield. And he does all this walking to get to the places he needs to go. And then I walked, you know, from Canterbury to London. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. That's just a thing you did, right? Even if you had money. So yeah, anyway, that's a, that's a very long and complicated answer, but that's kind of what made me start thinking about it. Right. Which is great to think about how the same activity can have so many different meanings to different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which, which actually, <laughs> okay, I know that this essay is about walking, but all I want to do now is talk about the lead in that you had about activities that turn out to be less fun <laughs> or more fun than you anticipate them to be. Because as soon as I read that, like my mind started churning through trying to come up with things that go in all the different categories. And mm-hmm. anyway, uh, and I completely disagree with you about convertibles. And I realized that probably, and in, and if you people read it in the written form, uh, official list is in capital letters. And so I'm assuming yes. that there that this is a tongue-in-cheek list that you recognize yes. that everybody's going to have their own take on it. I'm curious yes. how, because it's such an interesting way to lead into this essay about hiking. So 
Um, how did you start there? I guess I was thinking about, well, the, so the essay started with this kernel of thought, which is why is it that we romanticize walking and why do we always think, I anyway, I mean, I enjoy walking. I really do. I do it every day and I do generally enjoy it, but I never enjoy it as much as I think I'm going to. Like the idea of it is always like, let's go for a hike or let's go for a walk. It's going to be great. And then it's like, yeah, it's a walk, right? It's great. It's fine. Um, so then I was like, well, what else is like that? And then that seemed like a good, funny hook to, to start off the essay. What other activities do we romanticize or think are going to be so much better than they turn out to be? And of course the list is like, I guess hopefully one of the jokes of the list is that every single thing that's on both sides could be on any side, depending on who you are, right? This is just my own personal idiosyncratic list of things that I'm usually disappointed by versus the opposite, which is things that I dread doing and usually end up finding kind of fun. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, walk, but, but the point is like walking is on neither one. It's neither, it's not clear. It's neither really clearly always something that you enjoy doing more than you think you are or the opposite. And so what else is always there? Sex. And then tubing was just a joke. <laughs> I know. That was very funny. I've never been tubing. <laughs> I mean, you don't really need to go tubing, honestly. No, I, 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 don't, I, is, don't, I don't think that sounds at all fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. But it's, again, it's like a lot of infrastructure is required to make it fun. It's like skiing, mm-hmm. like, you know, great, but why kind of thing. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And it's, and it's so, yeah, it's, it's so individualistic uh, in Mm -hmm. terms of what what goes on the list. So in terms of thinking about this essay overall, um, as you take a look at it now and read it aloud, are there things you don't like about it now or things that you just particularly love about it? I had forgotten because I hadn't looked at this one in a long time. I had forgotten about the list at the beginning. So when I reread it, for this podcast, I was like, oh, that list, that was really funny. And it was so fun to write because it was just like, haha, and I'm going to piss some people off with this one. Um, uh, so that, that I really liked. I like that. And I really like the part about Tess. I always love getting something about a Victorian novel into an essay. Um, yeah, it's, it's like the, I mean, I only talked about this in the, in our first episode that the, Sometimes I feel my essays are a little, I, I don't know what, I don't have a word for it. It's glib is too pejorative, but a little too easy somehow. Like I wish that they were sometimes messier. Like I do work very hard to make them very lapidary, you know, very like short and like kind of crafted and not, I want them to be that way. But then when they end up that way, I sometimes think, well, this is sort of, there's got to be something messier in here or something. Mm-hmm. I was just reading this collection of essays by Tim Kreider called, um, I wrote this book because I love you, which is such a great title for a book. Mm-hmm. And each of the essays is essentially a kind of a love letter to someone. So women that he's been in love with or loved, but also just stu- like students, a class of students. So it's, it's like a very capacious uh, definition of love. But in the, in the essay where he talks about his students, about teaching writing for the first time, he uses this phrase that really stuck with me. And it's something about how, you know, you, you write a draft of an essay and then you think it's done or, you know, it's, it's close to done or whatever. And then, and then you get to the point where you've got to 
like reach into, I, I wish I could remember the exact phrase, but something like reach your hand into it and rip out like the wriggling heart of it or something like that. It's almost this kind of like mm. Aztec sacrifice imagery or something, but like the wriggling heart or the, you know, the, the messy part is, um, is often kind of left uncovered unless you do it deliberately. Right. It's very easy to write a whole essay, a whole personal essay that you think is like beautifully crafted and, and perhaps interesting and insightful and even, you know, sort of smart or thought provoking. And yet, it's kind of not really the beating heart of it. And so this is one of those essays where I love it because it's, I think it's like very tight and concise and at like crafted, but did I really get at my ambivalence about walking or what is that really about? Or, you know, I gesture to the idea of the class distinctions and my kind of guilt about having leisure to walk, but I don't really go there you know, but maybe again, we talked about this last time. Maybe I don't need to. Maybe every essay doesn't need to be this kind of like gut wrenching Aztec sacrifice kind of thing. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Well, but yeah, I, but I thought it was yeah. interesting. You know that, and and I'm glad you talked a little bit about that uh, walk that you describe at the end of the essay because you just kind of describe it and you leave it there without commentary. And mm-hmm. I was like, I think I know what she's getting at, but, and it, and, and I was right. So yay. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm sort of curious because, um, sometimes you do, I think in your writing, tie things up with a bow a little bit more. And so yeah. I actually think that this essay, you didn't end it quite mm. so neatly. Um, uh, and, and at the same time, I hear what you're saying about sort of, yeah, there's more you could have unpacked probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's interesting to hear you say that because I guess it's like what if you write if you work on something long enough it just starts to feel unbelievably obvious I know this is definitely true for my academic criticism like mm-hmm. you know by the time I finish my dissertation or my book or, or even sometimes something just like as short as an article I just feel like I've been thinking about it for so long and I've researched it so much and I've written about it so deeply or whatever that I by the end of it, I think this is the most obvious thing in the whole world. Cause it is to me at that point, I've already thought it through so much. It seems, but I always forget other people have not just done all that research or don't have any idea. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think there's something going on with an essay like this too, where I'm like, Oh, it's, I felt like I was hitting people over the head. I was like, and then the sim, the symbolic moment when the maid walks by and I also thought it was kind of cheesy. So I'm actually really glad to know that it didn't come across that way. Right. That it that it was actually maybe more evocative or, um, you know, I don't know, mystical, mystical. What's the word I'm looking for? It's been a long day of teaching. This is an interesting experiment to teach all day and then do a podcast afterwards. See I feel how like much my brain you have, have been, left. Yes. My words have all been used up today. <laughs> <laughs> um, nomic, maybe like it was I, you know, I'm glad to hear that the ending was sort of nomic or or, uh, you know, suggestive rather than me being a cheese ball and being like, and then the Latino woman walked by, you know, we are white rich people or you're middle class people, whatever. So I'm glad it mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't feel that way. Yeah. Well, I was, and it was interesting because it also came right after you have this quote uh, from Tess of the Dubervilles and, and, and mm-hmm. you sort of lay the quote out there also without commentary really. And, and I mean, except that she was walking, you know, and so I was kind of right. curious to hear more about that choice as well. 
Mm. I mean, um, you said you like yeah, putting nineteenth century, you know, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> novels in yeah. there, but uh, yeah. And if I do a longer version of this one, if I end up like actually expanding and developing this one, I would think I would definitely end up talking about Tess more. Uh, Tess is a novel. So I was thinking about this phenomenon of how characters in 19th century novels are just walking all the time. And it's not even that big a deal. Even if they have money or they could afford to get the coach, they are often just like walking from one town to the next, but like way longer walks than we would consider normal. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but Tess is walking. She walks constantly throughout the entire novel. She's just always, always walking. And a lot of it is because she becomes poor through a series of circumstances that I will not reveal because I don't want to do spoilers, but it's a, tra- it, the novel's a tragedy and the things start going very badly for her and they just go from bad to worse and she ends up impoverished and her fortunes reverse several times. But um, there's a lot of walking that happens because she simply can't afford any other conveyance. Like she needs mm-hmm. to get to the next town to try to find work. And, but more than that, like Hardy in that novel really I mean, he just really, he has to lay it on thick. That's like, doesn't sound very complimentary because it's wonderful, but he really, there's a lot of it. And a lot of the kind of like, he tightly ties the idea of walking to a reversal of fortune. Um, He does this in all of his novels. Mayor of Casterbridge is another one I can think of off the top of my head where, or Jude the Obscure, uh, where something bad happens to people and that means they have to start walking or they've got to walk to the next place. And so it's a marker of class status, poverty, uh, you know, reversed fortunes, whatever. But it's also interesting to think about how walking, how important walking was to him, right? That all that stuff about how he took these long walks every day is all true. And I think that's true probably for a lot of 19th century writers. Um, But he took the same walk every day, the same exact one. And particularly because he appreciated seeing the subtle changes in the landscape around him from day to day. You know, he liked to track that on a daily basis. And so I think that sounds incredibly boring, but, (laughs) but also, but also admirable. Like that's the thing. It's like, wow, that I would love to be the kind of person that could do that. It sounds very Buddhist. Right. But I also kind of think it would drive me crazy to take the exact same walk every day. I think it's great. I don't want to do it myself. So anyway, so that was what another reason that I wanted to include Tessa's because I just think it's, it's interesting to think of him as this middle class by that point, comfortable person taking walks for leisure. And in order to think through the problems in his novels and, and create these lives of his characters, the, the characters who themselves are then taking walks inside his novels that have a very different meaning from the walks that he himself is taking. And so that's the kind of contrast I was thinking about between Scott and me walking and the Latina um, hotel worker walking past us, right? That, that was mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. It was like, we were hardy and here's our character Tess, you know, this is kind of like <laughs> weird little moment. So, yeah. 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 And I think that that piece of sort of what you're, no, you know, do you want to take the same walk all the time? Are you noticing things in the exterior or are you, you know, kind of doing more interior stuff when you're walking? That sort mm-hmm. of gets at this uh, connection between walking and creativity that you say, you know, so much is written about. I'm, I'm kind of curious because you don't really talk about, um, do you feel any kind of connection between walking and creativity? It seems, it seems like you focus on the environment, uh, that you're in when Mm -hmm. you're walking. Um, uh, and you'd like to do different walks and I'm, I'm completely opposite. I will take this. I, during the pandemic, I took exactly the same walk. I live next to a park, 
this is the way I walk. I walk the same route. <laughs> same thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm curious because you've got a different sort of relationship with walking than I do. Yeah. I don't, I don't find it helps my creativity at all. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, maybe it does on some level that I'm not aware of, but it's not like I'm, oh, I've got this problem in my writing or I just can't figure out what this, you know, intellectual conundrum, I'm going to go for a walk and then I come home and I'm like, Eureka or anything like that. Uh, but even more subtly than that, I don't really know. Maybe it's doing something, but it suddenly, it's, it certainly doesn't feel to me like there's any really direct and obvious connection. Not to the point that these authors who are writing in LitHub are talking about, where it's just so clear that this opens them up or, or how you know important that connection is. I just, you know, but here's the other thing. I think partly the problem is since I moved to Mississippi and we moved to right before the pandemic. So I did also take the same, pretty much the same walk every single day during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. There's not like a lot of really interesting different routes to take in a small town, right? Like, I mean, we could drive somewhere and like hike in the woods or whatever. Um, But if you want to like walk around town and you want to start out at your house, unless you want to walk for 10 miles, you're going to kind of see the same things over and over again. Right. But, I came to a realization when I was doing all that walking. And then again, when I was thinking about this essay, and that is I'm a city walker. That's what I love. I find myself kind of bored by, I feel terrible. I'm like, I feel like I shouldn't even say this out loud, but I feel kind of a little bored in the woods. And like, I wish I was thorough. You know, I, I like that idea. I wish that I, I was like, um, strolling through the woods, taking a, you know, forest bathing, right. Or doing all that, mm-hmm. like communing with nature stuff and, uh, and noticing the different fungi and the different spider webs and the way the light is filtering through the trees. I mean, I guess I like all that stuff, but it's not like what really floats my boat. What really floats my boat is walking through a city. So I am like, I'm a flanus. I, you know, I just love urban walking. I love, yeah. Well, I mean, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite days of all time, and I still talk about this with Scott, is we were once visiting his friend, well, my friend too, um, Adam, who lives in San Francisco. They went to grad school together. And I'd been to San Francisco before, but we were, it was so weird. We just started walking. He, Adam worked at Green Apple Books and, um, you know, the really famous bookstore. And we decided to walk there, but we took, a, we just took all day to get there. So mm-hmm. we just followed him. And I saw all these parts of the city that I'd never seen before. And it was like, we just walked and walked and walked. And of course the weather was really nice for that. And we'd stop and have a coffee and then we'd walk and walk and walk and we'd go to a bookstore and then walk and walk and walk and stop and have a beer. And then it was time for lunch. And then we were in the park and then we we're on the water. And it was just like, I had no idea where I was going, but it was all day. It was literally like 10 hours of walking with occasional stops. And it was completely magical. And I know that that's something that you can't repeat. Once you know a city, fairly well. You can't really recapture that sense of discovery um, that you get walking in a city that you don't know. So I get that it was also partly that I just don't know San Francisco very well, but it was so amazing. And yeah, that's my favorite thing to do is to go to a city I don't know that well and walk all day. I think that's fantastic, you know, the city walking. And actually, I think even if you know a city well, my favorite thing about when I've lived in a city is like on a weekend, just leave my apartment and just walk and 
and who knows what you'll come across. There will be a, yeah. something happening and, the, you know, a festival happening somewhere or, you know, you'll run into somebody and then, I don't know. So I, yeah, I think city walking is fantastic. I, I, I live in, you know, I live by the beach now. And so that's actually a lot of what I do is beach walks, which mm-hmm. is, you know, obviously completely lovely and, and beautiful. But one of the other things that's nice about the beach walks here is everybody's doing it. So I run into people there all the time. It's, it's our Paseo, you know, it's um, Mm -hmm. so, so I think that I, I like walking to get places and to sort of explore places. Um, And I like walking to sort of in this like, oh, I'm walking alone, but I might run into people. But when I'm walking, I also, and during the pandemic, because I was living alone during the pandemic. And so I would listen often to podcasts and audiobooks, and I would feel like I sort of had some company with me. And the funny thing is now when I walk those, because I walk the same paths all the time, I sort of recollect uh, mm-hmm. what I was listening to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and these different books and voices will pop into my head as I'm walking. Yeah. Yeah. I have the opposite thing too, where like I, um, I sometimes listen to audiobooks of books uh, that I'm teaching because I'm just like so pressed for time. I'm like, I want to go for a walk and I'm going to listen to this chapter of Dracula. I wouldn't do it with a novel that I had never read before that I was teaching, but if it's something I know really well, I'm just listening mm-hmm. to it to, you know, sort of remember. And I've already got the paper copy all marked up with my notes or whatever. Anyway, so sometimes I have the opposite thing where I am reading a chapter of something and I'll, and I'll just vividly picture where I was walking when I read, when I heard that particular passage. So it happened, it works both ways too, where like, I'm suddenly like, oh, I was right on that hill, like looking up in this direction when I, when that passage was in my head, Mm -hmm. in my ears. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I didn't used to like listening to stuff when I walked. I mean, I used to run for years and I never listened to anything. I never listened to music. I never, I was just like, I just wanted silence, Um, which I know everybody thinks is really weird, but, and I'm, it was the same way about walking for a long time, but now, now I do it. I mean, it's not the same. It's not the same as it's a, it's like the difference between having sex with toys (laughs) 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 and just, you know what I mean? Like there's, it's like, Oh, this is like better, but there's this kind of sheen of artificiality about it. That's like not necessarily bad, but you definitely notice that it's there. You know what I mean? That's what it feels like to me. Like, this is a walk, but there's like a technology in my head and it's like telling me what to think about, you know, whatever. And it feels kind of like I'm not really completely in control. There's, there's this moment in Seinfeld where um, he, I, get, I can't remember who it was, George and Jerry are talking about like some sexual encounter that one of them had with a, with a new woman, like a date that they just had. And Jerry says something like, it was kind of like being in a car accident, like, you know, at one point my, my body's in one direction. Then all of a sudden it's like, I'm flipped around in midair and I'm facing the other. And then in the end, my, and then in the end I was thrown clear, (laughs) you know, that's like, like a feeling like you can't catch up to yourself. Like that's how I feel when I'm listening to something in my ears when I'm walking is that I'm like, I'm, it's great, but it's different. And it's not the same kind of experience. Like I'm not, I'm not fully caught up to where I am or something like that. Anyway. 
Well, I think I'm not fully present with myself yeah. whenever I'm yeah. listening to something. Sure. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. And, you know, and I thought it was interesting you were saying, you know, about how you don't really like walking in the woods, but you sort of feel like you're supposed to. And I have mm-hmm. that relationship with hiking. I live in Santa Barbara. We have beautiful mountains here. Everybody hikes. It's a way people spend time together. It's a way people relate to the environment. People are always posting on social media all these amazing pictures of their hikes and stuff. And if I go hiking partway through, I'm just like, why am I walking uphill? <laughs> this is not enjoyable. On purpose. <laughs> On purpose. This is terrible. That's but, really you know, funny. then when you get to the top and there's a nice view and, you know, I will always pack a picnic. So then then, then I'm like, okay, then this is nice. And then you walk down and, and walking down is nice. And so I, I've heard, um, I don't know this myself, but I've heard that childbirth is like this where um, it's really uh, painful and unpleasant. But then, you know, you have all these other uh, emotions of having just created this human being and, you know, all of this and that's wonderful. And so then you forget about the pain and then you have another kid and you're like, oh my gosh, right. It's this again. Right, that again. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I've heard that about childbirth, um, which I haven't experienced if there are listeners who have and you can, you want to confirm whether or not bearing a child is somehow analogous to hiking. It's kind of like going on a hike. <laughs> oh my god. So my sister is going to kill me. I'm, I'm going to tell this little anecdote which I don't think is very personal. Hopefully she won't be too mad, but um I always tell people when they say that that, that they had that experience cuz I I don't have kids either and I've never mm-hmm. experienced childbirth. Um when I people always say, well, we, you have the kid and then it's unbelievably painful and you think you're going to die. And then you kind of forget the pain because mm-hmm. there's endorphins or there's maybe even drugs involved. And then of course you have the extreme pleasure of having the baby afterwards and you bond with it. And it's so amazing. Your brain forgets the pain and then you have it to get decide to have another child. And then you're like, Oh my God, this, this again, what was I thinking? My sister had, had one child and afterwards she's like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> so she's like the one person who actually <laughs> remembered she's like i remember that that was horrible no i think one kid is enough so i always thought that was really funny that she was like able to remember this thing that every other person i'd ever talked to had had forgotten (laughs) i don't know what that says about her or other people but anyway um yeah yeah but the hiking thing i i do like hiking i like hiking i like climbing i like going up hills in the woods and there being a view at the other end and some food that's awesome um I do get resentful when I go on a long hike and there's kind of nothing at the end of it, especially if it's uphill and there's no view. So I do try to pick hikes. When I was yeah. in Israel, oh, sorry, <laughs> I just have to tell this story. No, 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 when I was in Israel, yeah. I hiked up Masada because that's what you do, you know, mm-hmm. and you go mm-hmm. early in the morning because it's it's in the desert. So I was going up and my partner at the time was really worried that I was having heat stroke or something because I was not complaining about hiking. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like so excited to get to the top because there are these archaeological ruins and there's all this stuff and it sounded so interesting. And so I was just like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to get there. And then I get to the top and there are fascinating things. There's, there's a whole history of stuff that happened there. But I was like, why isn't anyone selling ice cream at the top of Masada? Like this is such a missed opportunity because the thing I desperately wanted at that point. So, so I sort of was imagining that when I got to the top, there would be some kind of like refreshment stand. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm a little disappointed then. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I can see why they don't have refreshment stands at the top of Masada, just as a... <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just respectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also very much sympathize with your desire for ice cream under pretty much any circumstances. Yeah, there should be an ice cream stand, I think. Um, yeah. Maybe Everywhere. like operating theaters, no... Uh, maybe a couple other places, <laughs> but mostly I think most places could be improved with the addition of an ice cream stand. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so I've asked you, I, I've sort of um, been organizing my questions into these categories of, I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear more about, and you've talked about the things that I wanted to hear more about. I also have this category of what this makes me think of is because I, I feel like anytime I'm reading, you know, or hearing about somebody else's experience, I always think, oh, well, that makes me think of this and this and this, you know, so I imagine that listeners might also think about that. So we, we talked about that. But the other thing that it made me think of is what story I'm going to read next time. And so, which is also, um, sort of about walking. So, uh, I will, yes, I know. So, uh, but here's, here's my suggestion for a new regular segment. Um, because we were talking, we've been talking about, uh, detail and use of detail. And so Mm -hmm. I decided I'm just going to say what my favorite detail in your essay is. So my favorite, (laughs) yeah, my favorite detail in this essay is the line where you say, I don't think carpenters spend a lot of time fantasizing that recreational bungee jumping will help them build better tables. Ah, that just made me laugh out loud. I love that so much. So, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I, I spend a lot of time laughing out loud and giggling at my own writing. So I <laughs> just like, I don't, I, it's still, I still think it's funny, even after I've read it a couple times and I'm like, I wrote this, I still think it's funny. So yeah. So I like it when other people think it's funny because that's my main goal there's this um david sedaris essay where he talks about how hugh his husband partner i think they're married but his partner hugh um he always has him read his stuff first and then he like kind of hovers in the background and if enough time goes by with silence he'll yell out why aren't you laughing and i (laughs) and i do the same thing to scott he reads everything first and i just kind of like wait to hear if there's giggling or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, cause that's always the goal. I really always want them to be funny. So. Yes. Well, they are funny. I, you know, I think you have a delightful sense of humor. You are in fact in, in my relationship, you are our arbiter of humor. We always say, Oh, well, well do you think this, this is funny? Like we, we somehow um, have put you in the position of, uh, of even when you, <laughs> you don't even hear, I've got a whole list of things to tell you about to test on you to see if you think that they're funny. We're like, Oh, I think this is funny, but would D think it's funny? So <laughs> I love that. I love. I'm the go- I'm the ghost in the humor machine. <laughs> you you, pro- you probably don't ever want to ask me because it's more important that I just function as this kind of like you know whatever um, ghostly arbiter. You don't you don't you don't ever want to know what the ghostly arbiter really thinks, right? Because then. But but you know we have I, I don't know if you recall but we did run some some of our I do remember that, that. Yeah. I do remember that and I felt I remember at the time thinking like I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> no no matter no matter which way this goes it's not going to be good for somebody and yeah so maybe I should just remain a ghostly presence. Oh, yeah. It's it's not bad for us. It's bad for you uh, to yeah, exactly. be in that position. I understand. All right. Well, that's fine. We we just it, it gives us opportunity to talk about you a lot. So you have a wonderful presence there. <laughs> um, is there anything about this essay that we haven't talked about or anything else you want to say? Um, 
I think you kind of asked me all the questions that led to stuff that I would want to say about it. I guess, yeah, I guess maybe one one other thing I would want to flesh out a little bit more is how I'm, I'm feeling kind of weird about having been so down on walking in the woods because I do think it's a really amazing activity and one that I do enjoy a lot of the time. But I feel like I need to think more about what the difference is because it really is. It's almost like a different activity, right, for me. And I mean, obviously, it's the same activity. Like you're moving your legs and your arms in the same way. But I feel like everything else about it, like everything that's going on in your head, but also just like the way that you're relating to your environment, the way you're like the way the, the quality of the silence inside your own mind, if you're walking without any podcasts or distractions or anything between the city and the country or between, you know, walking in the woods and walking on an urban street is so profoundly different. Like I can't, like it doesn't seem to be the difference in environment doesn't seem to be enough to account for it because it feels almost physically different or like you're getting different, you're exercising different muscles even. It's just weird. So yeah, I mean, I guess if I was going to write a, a longer expanded version of this, I would want to think more about um, really more specifically and deeply about differences between urban and, and country walking because I didn't really touch on that. I don't think, I didn't talk about city walking in this at all, really, specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, with that, those lists that you started with, things that are less fun or more fun than you think they'll be, that both uh, walking and sex, you, you know, if you just get down to the specifics of it, like walking barefoot, I do not think is ever as much fun as it seems like it might be. And yeah, like yeah. walking through a meadow, I think it's just terrible. It's always like too hot. And, it's kind of hard. There's yeah. grasses <laughs> itchy and, you know, whatever. And, you know, sex, it's like sex on the beach. No, it's not as great as no. it seems like it's going to be, you know, so, so there's, um, if you get those down to the detail, you can sort of put them in the categories. But walking, I think you're right. It's an incredibly broad category. And yeah. I, and I think yeah. that you really brought that broad as to sex. life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Maybe in the show notes, I'll share the sexual activity that I think is always sounds like it's going to be more fun than it never is. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Bonus I'll, material in the show exactly. notes. <laughs> and then maybe I'll just conveniently forget to put it in the show notes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, just now, if like we weren't recording this, I would have just told it to you. Like, oh yeah, just like X. But yeah, I feel weird about recording it. So I'll tell I'll tell you later. <laughs> All right. I, I can't wait to hear. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your essay. This has been delightful. And thank uh, you. Thank you for the great questions. It was really fun. Absolutely. And we'll uh, we'll get to talk in the next episode. Absolutely. Catch you next time. Listeners, if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and share so more folks can find us. You can follow us on social media at Dr. WafflePod, that's drwafflepod, or email us at drwafflepod at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for websites and other info. Thanks for listening.